0: This is game that I play with dog owners when I'm at their home. Uh, when they're talking about how much they love their dog and would do anything for their dog, I ask them if someone was to come to your door right now and offer you one million dollars for your dog, would you give it over? <laughs> now, most men, most men don't even bat an eye. They say the dog's gone. Most women, on the other hand, say, no, my dog's not going anywhere. That's my dog. It's wild how the women and the children would want to hold on to this dog. They have a much different response to the million dollars. It doesn't even phase them. So then I'll go back to the men, and then I'll start going down in price. Well, what if it was only half a million dollars? Would you still give the dog up? What if it was only $50,000? Would you still give the dog up? What if it was only $5,000? And most end up with a pretty low price tag on their dog. (laughs) But on the other hand, with the women and children, I have to go up. Okay, you won't take a million. What about uh, 200 million? What about half a billion dollars? What about a billion? And there's no budging these dog lovers. makes no sense to me. But the whole part of the game that I'm playing with them is to see how much they value their dog. Uh, The man says, well, with a million dollars, I can buy you 50 dogs, and I can pay off our mortgage, and I can buy a motorcycle. (laughs) And the woman says, but that's my dog, and I love it. The woman values the dog most often more than the men do. The point is this. Money speaks about what we value. It's what we value. And so, to the dog lover they value the dog above the money. To most men, they value the money above the dog. What you value most, it depends on what you're willing to dish out. What you're willing to give in order to get from. The amount of money you're willing to throw at things to say, I want that, and it doesn't matter how much it costs. Imagine if your kid was held for ransom. How much are you willing to pay? Put your house on the line? Right? Right? What do you value? Depends on how much money. You say, it doesn't matter anymore how much money when you value something so highly. Your value of, of time. How much time are you willing to spend to earn money because that money is going to buy you the thing you value. So how much are you going to slave and slave and slave and slave so that you can afford your way of life? That also shows what you value. How much energy do you spend, do you spend in saving and, and, and uh, spending All of these things and more expose what we value most. It's like how uh, we spoke in the first week of this series that when we give over our trust to God in prayer, we are worshiping Him in our prayer because we are trusting Him. So we're giving over all of our burdens. We're giving over all of our life. We're giving all, all over our day. We're giving it over to Him and we're saying, I value you more than the burden of carrying it myself. So prayer is worship. Last week, we we talked about giving over our attention and our mind as we hear the word of God preached. So we're saying, God, I, I value you above laziness. So then this week, we're going to look at giving over our checkbook as worship. And I don't just mean the checkbook for your bank. I mean the checkbook for your life. Your time. Your energy. And yes, your money. The passage we're going to look at this morning has a specific application of money, but it applies to giving across the board. Uh, Giving as uh, a way of worship. So I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians 9. We're going to look at verses 6 through 15 of 2 Corinthians 9. Um, As I read it, you will hear some familiar verses. God loves a cheerful giver being one of them. Second Corinthians chapter 9. And yes, as much as this example is money, because often money speaks most about what we value, and so it's easiest to evaluate our own lives based on our pocketbook. Um, it does apply in our generosity in other areas, in our time, in our energy as well. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to begin at verse 6. Here is what the Word of God says. He is distributed freely, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing, and increased, increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God." For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission, which flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ, and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you, because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gifts. This passage, I'm going to work backwards through. I'm going to work backwards, because I believe that that last verse I read is the foundation for the rest. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Now, you can know what that is right away. If you know anything about the Bible, you know that the inexpressible gift is Christ crucified. Jesus, who has come to stand on your behalf as a sinner, take the punishment for your sin, die for you at a great cost to himself, and make you new again, and give you life, and grant you righteousness and eternal life. That is the inexpressible gift. You cannot put expression to how great a gift that is. It is inexpressible the value of salvation in Jesus. That's the inexpressible gift, this gift that Jesus has given to you, for you were bought with a price, it says. What was, the price? what was the price? How costly was it? How much was God willing to give for His glory returned in you? The life of His own Son. The life of His own Son. So that you would return in some senses to your original intended purpose. God created you for, to glorify Him, to reflect Him, to enjoy Him. Well, When you're living apart from Jesus and you're living for yourself and your sin, you're not enjoying Him and you're not glorifying Him. You're glorifying yourself. Everything you do is for your own gain. So in Jesus, then we're made new, a new creation. And we are recreated so that we can begin to, piece by piece, as God sanctifies us, better reflect Him again. So that people can begin to see us more as the actual image bearers of God. That we are more reflective of God's heart and His character the more we're like Jesus. And so, the more we are like Jesus, it returns glory to God. People can look at us and say, thanks be to God. That's, so the point of you being saved was not just so that you can escape hell. You realize the point of you being saved is so that God gets glory. Because that's the greatest thing that you need, and the greatest thing that I need, and the greatest thing that the world needs, God to be glorified, for him to be lifted up. Because he is the only one who satisfies the soul. If God is never lifted up and we say, yeah, I got my God, but he doesn't need to be lifted up. He's not egotistic. He doesn't need to be famous. Then people are going to seek their satisfaction everywhere else. But God, who he is, is the one to be greatest treasured and valued and, and satisfied in. So therefore, his fame and his glory is the greatest need of humankind. And so, in saving us, He is beginning to restore His glory in your life and in mine. People can look and say, thanks be to God. That's the cost. So, the the cost was Christ's own life. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. The gift of the gospel of Christ. That is the good news that even though you are a sinner, even though your sin deserves death eternal, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. That he died in your place. That if you would confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive them. That if you would call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. That's the gospel of Christ. So if you look at verse 13, it says, By their approval of this service they're giving, they will glorify God because of your submission. Where does this submission come to that we're going to look at? This submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. Your submission. Anything that you're going to do is coming from your confession. You confess Jesus. You say, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my life. He is my Savior. That's your confession. That's your creed. Your confession is the gospel of Christ. I was a sinner. I'm only made new through Jesus. That's your confession. Well, it says that that's going to change you. That it is not just this confession of the gospel of Christ. Verse 14 says... That is because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. When when God has lavished grace on you, it's supposed to mean you lavish grace on others. You got what you did not deserve. Love, forgiveness, acceptance. And so then you are supposed to let that flow through you. Love, acceptance, forgiveness to those who do not deserve it. That's God lavishing his surpassing grace on you. It surpasses all knowledge. It surpasses all limits. So it's because of the confession of the gospel of Christ, the surpassing grace of God upon you. It's amazing that this gospel confession, this admission of I need Jesus, the good news is he has come to rescue me. This testimony, it brings submission, verse 13 tells us. It brings submission. I come under God because of the gospel, because of what he has done for me, because how he has saved me, and I don't deserve it. Because he loves me, I will then submit to him because I realize he is for my good. So of course I'm going to do as he says. Of course I'm going to be transformed into what he desires me to transform into. It says in verse 13, They'll glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. And what else does that bring? It says, and the generosity of your contribution for them. This confession does not just stay at, yeah, I love Jesus, or Jesus is good enough to get me into heaven, or yeah, I know about him. That's not where the confession ends. This confession in the gospel of Christ, that is believing in the gospel of Christ, does something with you. It makes you submit then to the the will and the plan and the purpose of God. And then it says it brings generosity. Because, was God stingy with you? He was not. He was so generous with you that it just begins to take part of your new nature, right? You're becoming more like God, more like Jesus. Well, what was he? He was generous in the inexpressible way. And so then you begin to become more generous. Not just with your money, remember, with your time, with your energy, with your words of encouragement, with your grace towards other people who have offended you. You become more generous. So this, this comes from your confession of the gospel of Jesus, submission and generosity. And it flows out of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. A person who is thankful does something. You see, uh, we have first off this inexpressible gift. The second thing we see is in impassioned glory. In you and in others, the recipients of your generosity. Look at verse 11. It says, You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. When you are, are generous to someone, it will produce thanksgiving and if you realize that you're not the original gift giver, that all you have is from God, and so you just give generously and sacrificially, the recipients of that are going to say, well, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God that He has so convicted you to give in this way, or that He has enabled you, or, or allowed you to be able to give in this way. Thanks be to God. They're going to glorify God. They're going to value God as the great giver. It says, this will produce, verse 11, will produce thanksgiving to God. Verse 12, for the ministry of this service, interesting, it refers to generosity and giving as a ministry. Like you are ministering, you are coming alongside and helping out, you are, um, you are being compassionate towards. For this ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints. It is supplying the needs of the saints. It's making sure that people are taken care of. That someone doesn't have to uh, wonder if their hydro is going to be turned off next month. That someone doesn't have to wonder if they are going to have enough food to feed their children. It is supplying the needs of the saints. And, and the saints, because we know that we're, to take, take, take care of your closest people first, take care of your family, when your family's taken care of, take care of your church family, so that they can take care of other people, and it goes out from there. Well, take care of your neighbors and take care of your nation, and take care of foreigners. Right? It, that's the way it should flow because when we're taking care of the more people near to us in the most practical way, then there's more people as a base to help everybody else. It's a good and solid principle. And so it says, so we're not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's overflowing, it's also overflowing in many thanks to God. So it's, it's twofold. You giving generously to people is about them being taken care of, yes. But it's also about them giving thanks to God. Them looking to God and saying, there is something greater than me, something greater than my need, there's something greater than that person holding on to their own money or time. There's a God who seems to love me and care for me. This is the ministry of this service. The reason we are to be generous is so that people are taken care of and that ultimately they would give thanks to God. And you look at Verse 13. By their approval of this service, so they approve. Well, they're being taken care of, so of course they're going to approve. Who's going to refuse generosity? they like, ah, oh, you know what? I'll just struggle to not pay my hydro bill. And I don't know. They, they, they approve of the service. They say, that's a good thing. That is a noble thing for you to take care of people's needs. And by their approval of this service, they will glorify God. They'll glorify God. They will lift him up and they'll say, God be praised. God be valued. God be treasured. They will glorify God. And where does it come from? It says, verse 13, because of your submission. Because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution, they will glorify God. Your giving is worship. Not just in you saying, God, you are worth everything. All I have is yours. But then to others that they may also Worship God. That they may look to God and say, there's something greater than me. There's something greater than me. They will glorify God. With an impassioned glory. With an impassioned glory that will give thanks to God. That's the goal. They will give thanks to the indescribable giver. Not you. Not me. With limited resources. But to God. Look at verse 10. It says, he who supplies seed to the sower... And bread for food, that's God, he will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. He will supply. He'll take care of your needs. What's amazing is, when's the last time you saw manna? You know, the heavenly bread that just appeared? When's the last time you saw the quail? Meat from heaven? It doesn't happen. But in times of your need, if you've ever been in need, where have you seen God supply? Well, isn't it through other people? It's always through other people. God will supply. He promises that. Well, how does he do it? Well, he does it through those who are thankful. Those who want to glorify him. Those who are submitting to him and saying, like, hey, go and take care of the needs of others. We'll say, Yeah, of course I will. So then, the Bible is true when it says God will supply. But what's beautiful is it says he will also multiply your seed. So he'll multiply what you're able to give and, and put in. And then it says he will increase the harvest of your righteousness. When you are a recipient of God's grace and generosity, then part of being righteous or, or doing rightly is you also being generous. So it says, he will increase the harvest of your, genera- and of your righteousness. So when you, you being righteous is doing what is right, so you're being generous, that's what you are sowing into the ground, it says God will increase that harvest. So that you're going to be able to see the, the, the sowing and, and the reaping that is bountiful. I love verse 8. It says, look it, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency, like you have sufficient everything. You have all sufficiency in all things, in all things, at all times. You may abound then in every good work. Because God being gracious to you, you don't deserve it. So he's gracious. He's giving to you what you do not deserve. That is, he's taking care of you. He's loving you even when you've spit in his face. And you say, you know what, God? I'll do this thing on my own. He says, I'll take care of you, even when you insist on your own way. Even when you walk in sinfulness, even when you forget me, I will be gracious to you. I will love you with a love that is undeserved. And so, it says, uh, he is able to make all grace abound to you. That is, overflow to you. It abundantly comes upon you. It's not just like, oh, a little bit of grace. No, no, it, it abounds to you so that... Having been taken care of, all sufficiency. You have more than you need in this life. And in all things, he's giving you more time than you need for yourself. He's giving you more energy than you need for yourself. He's giving you more money than you need for yourself. He's making uh, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. It's interesting how you can find the time for things you care about, right? Right? We often say well, there's not enough time in the day. I always say that. But yet, you can still find time to do something that's wasteful. Right? You can still find time to scroll through Facebook or pick up a newspaper or uh, watch TV or whatever. We can still seem to find that the thing that we think we don't have enough of, time, we, we always seem to have sufficient amount and more than we need. Well, why do we have more? It's so that... We can abound in every good work. Like, we're supposed to use that extra time. We're supposed to use that extra money. As much as, you know, some, sometimes money is tight, there's, we're still able to give a dollar, two dollars, ten dollars, hundred dollars, if someone really needed it. We have that. We may abound in every good work of giving ourselves, because we have all sufficiency in all things at all times, so that we may abound in good works. In and through God's supply. The good works we do are from God. And they are for God. They are for God's glory. For his fame and recognition. People will value him as they should. When we do good to them. People will value him as they ought. They will treasure him. They will be satisfied in him. When you give them him. You give them him. You look back at verse 10, it says, He will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. That is, the generosity that you're going to give to others, he will increase that harvest. And the generosity is not just for generosity's sake. It's not just to make sure people are taken care of financially. And it's not even just to make sure that they are surface-level thankful, but that they would ultimately give God their lives and give him the glory. That's the ultimate way of being thankful to God. Like, how can you be thankful to God and say, I'm thankful for what you give me and supply for me, but I'm going to reject you. We do that every day, right? When we sin, we do that every day. Thank thank you, God, that I have this breath. Thank you that I have this mouth, but I'm going to use it to sin. Thank you that I have ears that can still hear, but I'm going to use it to sin. Thank you that i got feet to walk, but I'm going to use them to walk away from you. Like, we do that every day, right? Rather than living in thanksgiving, we are... Begrudging what God has given us. But the point is that we want that thanksgiving to be genuine. To be turning ourselves back to God. Verse 11 tells us that when we are recipients of this. And when we give, it says you will be enriched in every way to be generous. In every way. Which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Again, generosity produces thanksgiving to God, I love it. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. It's not just finances that you can be generous in. You can be generous with your time. You can be generous with your energy. That's why we do foster care. We're willing to spend our energy for the sake of children who need us. It's worth it. At the end of the day, you're exhausted and it's frustrating, but God gave me that energy that I have at this point in my life. So I'm going to spend it for them. I'm going to spend it for others. So that I don't just want them to just be taken care of. I want them to glorify God. And I want others to glorify God. I want others to say, thanks be to God. Through their spending of themselves for the others. That's the whole point. We can be generous in every way. Which will, through us, produce thanksgiving to God. So then it becomes intentional Generosity. We have this inexpressible gift. God has given us something that we do not deserve. Salvation, forgiveness, freedom from guilt and shame, eternal life. That's an inexpressible gift. It produces impassioned glory and thanksgiving in us as we've received it. And then that produces intentional generosity. We give to be generous in every way. That will produce thanksgiving to God. Verse 13, By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution to them and for all the saints. Look up in verse 6. It's going to show us what generosity is all about. Since says, The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. How much do you give out? So if our goal is that people would give thanks to God and bring glory to God, well, how many people are you doing that for? And in what amount? How many people are you allowing to be thankful to God for your generosity? And in what ways? And especially when it comes to the gift of salvation, how many people are we allowing to be thankful that God has so said, I love you, and I'll forgive you, and I'll save you for all of eternity. Are you giving that gift to people so that they may be thankful, so that that may abound? Like how much are, are you are you sowing that bountifully in abundance? Are you sowing that out there so that it can reap abundantly? That there will be lots of people who can say thanks be to God for the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8 tells us, God is able to make all grace abound to us, so that, having all sufficiency in all things, you may abound. Generous. It's not just, how much time do I need to do? Tell me the bare minimum of like, what it means to love God and serve God, and I'll do it. It's like me buying flowers for my wife, and she says, oh, thank you. And I say, well, I had to. Uh, it's Valentine's, and it's my duty, and it costs... Just enough that I had to do it. Somebody else told me to. That's not going to go over well. Um, but I could buy her flowers that cost the same amount, and the same flowers, the same gift, the same cost, but the heart attitude could be, well, I do this because I love you. That's it. Not because it's my duty, not because I had to, but because I want to. I want to show that I appreciate you. I value you. And the cost of the flowers did not matter. You do the same for your kids. The cost of this or that doesn't matter because it makes you happy and it brings you joy and it satisfies you. Well, how much more then when we do little gifts like that, how much more do we offer them what is of great value and eternal value that we offer them again and again so that they may be uh, glorifying God and, and thankful to God. It, it, it really matters that we will be generous. It's not just the bare minimum. It's what can I go above and beyond? How can I give more of my time? How can I give more of my energy? How can I give more of my money? That's what generosity is. Generosity, it says in verse 11, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous. Not just you'll be enriched to, to just give a, a minimum. Generosity is above and beyond. Generosity, firstly, is sacrificial. It's sacrificial. And when we sacrifice, it's because we say, I belong to God. And everything I have belongs to God. So I just sacrifice it. I just give it all up. and I give it till it hurts. In 2 Corinthians 8... Verses 1 to 5, it says this, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given uh, among the churches at Macedonia. Listen to this great example of generosity. Second uh, Corinthians 8, 1 to 5. These churches in Macedonia, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Wow. You want to talk about being generous, and, and generosity meaning sacrifice. You look at the Macedonian church says their abundance of joy. They had a great joy in them. They were rejoicing in the inexpressible gift of what God has given them or what they do not deserve. They had inexpressible joy. And then it says they were in extreme poverty. It wasn't just that they were, you know, in a lower class of people. No, they were in extreme poverty. But what happened? Out of their joy, overflowed a wealth of generosity on their part. They didn't just give you know, what was comfortable according to their means. 10% or whatever. He says they gave beyond their means. Beyond, like it hurt. Like they would say, I'll go without this meal because I can't afford it so that someone else can have it. They went beyond their means. They couldn't afford to give it up, but they did. That's what it means. That in faith, they said, I'm going to give what I need. Actually, I need this money to buy groceries for my family, but I'm going to give it. That's what it means that the Macedonians did. Out of the joy that they had from experiencing God, they overflowed in a wealth of generosity beyond their means. And he says, they were begging us for the favor of taking part. Like they said, let us, please, let us take part. They're like, no, no, you guys, you guys are poor. You don't, you don't need to give anything. They said, no. Let us give to, this, to the relief of the saints. Like, we want to give to the benevolent fund, the, the fund that helps take care of people who are in need. We want to give. Like, I got you don't need to. No, 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 it's all right. Take care. No, they begged Paul and the others of taking part of the relief of the saints. But the way they did it and why they did it is found at the end of verse 5. It says, they gave themselves first to the Lord. God, I'm yours. I'm all yours. And you were all mine. They gave themselves first to the Lord. And then, by the will of God, they gave themselves to others. To us. I'm yours, God. And the will of God said, well, just be generous. They said, yeah, we're going we're to do it. we got nothing left in our pockets, but what do you need? You need shoes? Have them. You need, you need a coat? Have mine. They were generous beyond their means because they gave themselves first to the Lord. They say, I belong to him. It's amazing to see their generosity as sacrificial. They said, God is worth everything to me. Everything. If you go back to the dog illustration, people would not put a value, a money price on their dog, but yet these same people who say, I will not take $500,000, I will not take a million, I will not take a billion dollars for my dog, are also the same people who, because they value their dog above all things, will pay Three, four, five thousand dollars for a surgery for their dog that they don't have the money for, but they value their dog that much, they'll do it, right? It's crazy, it's crazy, but they really are showing, and they're true to their word. They love their dog and they value their dog, and so they'll give to their dog what they do not even have sometimes. So then, what then do we give to God? We say, God, I'm, I'm yours, and so I value you above all things, so I give all of myself to you. And because I truly believe that you are a God who will provide and you're a God who will take care of me, I'm going to give all, all of my time. Uh, if I need more time, I know you'll supply it. You'll find time for me. Martin Luther, had said, on, on some of his busiest days, where he's facing like an, a stressful day, looking ahead and said, my day's packed. Uh, I have so much to do. There's so many stressful things, so many things to attend to. He would spend an extra hour or three in prayer. Like, your, my thought is, well, I have limited time already, so I'm just going to like hurry up my prayer so I can get on with the rest of my day. Luther said, no, I've got to spend more time in prayer because I have more to do and I have more to bring to God. What did he value most? He valued communion with God more and he valued trusting himself to God more. You and I sometimes, we just want to take it all and handle it all our own. But do we value God and say, I'm going to give it all for you. All of it. I value you and your mission and your glory above all things. I'm going to do it so that others know you too. Not just here in my neighborhood. I'm not just going to give generously and sacrificially so that my church can know and continues to know, but that my neighbors can know and that the nations can know, but that those in Indonesia who've never heard can know. I'm going to give so it hurts, so that they can know. And they can be thankful to God for the inexpressible gift of Jesus. So, if that costs me something like time, I need to get on an airplane and I need to go. If it costs me something like I need to learn a new language, I'm going to get out there and I'm going to go. If it means it's going to cost me that the fact that I don't get to upgrade my X, Y, or Z, I'm going to sacrifice it. If I have to skip a meal, I'm going to sacrifice it. So that I can put that money towards whatever God values. Because I belong to Him. It's sacrificial. It's sacrificial. But sacrificial generous giving also reflects our faith in God's provision. We say, God, I know you'll supply. Verse 10 says, he who supplies. Verse 8 says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you have all sufficiency in all things. When you give sacrificially so that it hurts, you're giving in faith saying, God, I trust you're going to take care of me. I trust you're going to take care of my family. It's amazing. It's amazing. That kind of faith that values God. In Mark chapter 12, 41 to 44, Jesus tells the story of a woman who had that kind of faith. It says, He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting their money, money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more. She has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, listen how she did it sacrificial. She put in everything she had, all she had to live on. She gave so it hurt. It's amazing. And and it was just, just a penny. And people over here were given a million dollars, and Jesus said, she gave more. She gave more. That's a generous woman. It didn't matter about the dollar amount. Generosity is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of a trust in God. Don Whitney, he says, we give to the extent that we believe God will provide for us. The more we believe God will provide for our needs, the more we are willing to risk giving for him. Generosity says, I belong to God, and so does everything I own. Generosity says, I trust God. Generosity says, I am a steward of what is God's. That meaning, I know I only manage what is God's. All that I have, my time, my energy, my money, is not mine. It's his. 1 Corinthians 10.26 tells us, For the earth is the Lord's and the, everything in it. Or 1 Corinthians 4.7 says, What do you have that you did not receive? Right? Nothing we have is ours. It's all his, and so we are stewards. Generosity says, I belong to God, and so I give. I trust God, so I give sacrificially, and I'm a steward of God's. So it's not mine anyways. So let there be generosity. And the way we give is guarded by our hearts. Look at verse 7, the well-known verse. It says, each one of us must give as he is decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Each one must give. Interesting. They must give. But they do it as they've decided in their heart. Well, what is your heart? Well, it's what you love, it's what you have affections for, it's what you value, it's what you treasure. Your heart treasures things. So, have you decided in your heart what to give? How much time are you going to give to God? Do you treasure him? Has your heart uh, affectionate for him and for what he loves? You decide in your heart you have a a will. Well, here's the thing. When you are living for yourself, well, your heart's going to decide, well, don't give because then that takes away from self. But when your heart is made new and you say, God is so generous to me that I have what I don't deserve, I have more than I need, then a new will is going to say, your will be done with this time or this money or this energy. You decide in your own heart. It's it's not like someone else can tell you what you need to give. They can't put an amount on you. There is a there's no New Testament principle that says a tithe is what you have to do, meaning a 10%. That's a that's a basement. That's like just a a good principle like where to start. Since it's all God's anyways, like here, here's a great place to start. Give 10% of your energy, give 10% of your time, give 10% of your, your paycheck to, to God and his service. That's a, that's a basement. That's just like a... Well, it's just here's a good principle. Everything's God's anyway. So try. Try in faith to give 1%. And try in faith to give 5 And then 10 And then more. By God's grace. It says each one has, must give as he's decided in his own heart. So no one can tell you. You have to give X amount of dollars. But there is the tithe principle in the Old Testament. Which is just a good um, starting place for us. I think in our generosity. But we must give as we've decided in our hearts. We must set our hearts to that. We must decide. How much do I love the work of God and how much do I love holding on to my stuff? And it says, though, you're to give not reluctantly. So, so don't give wishing that you hadn't. Or, or, you know what I mean? Like, oh, well, I'm going to give because I have to and I shouldn't have. I, I, I wanted that new TV or Whatever. Wishing that you could get it back. You don't give that way, not reluctantly or not under compulsion. People pleasing. Well, everybody's watching me. Well, I guess I better donate. I guess I gotta give because I'm being compulsed to or someone telling me I have to. Don't give out of compulsion or reluctant, but in your own heart, decide because God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful giver. Take joy in giving. Because you know what giving does? It expresses value in God. So God, you're worth it. You're worth my time. You're worth my energy. You're worth my money. Because it's not mine anyways. So it, it values God. It, it is worship to give of ourselves. And to give of all that we have been stewarded with. So let us not view our giving anything in the same way. Again, let us not think about uh, it as money only or in time and effort that's just ours and that it's all about numbers, it boils down to the heart. The heart motivation. A cheerful giver. Do we give of ourselves sacrificially, generously, for the sake of the one who gave it all? God gave it all. You were bought with a price. It was costly for Jesus to come and to stand in your place was costly. He took on so much shame, took on so much guilt, so much punishment and wrath for your own sin. It was costly. He gave it all. All to him we owe. So let us give sacrificially as Jesus gave sacrificially so that we might be restored to him. He gave it all so that we might live for him and with him. So then let's give it all so other people can experience the same joy in God. So that he may receive glory from our life now and our life eternal. If you've been a person who has felt guilty about what you give or what you spend, uh, let God transform your heart today. Rather than being full of guilt, let it be full of cheer. Shape your mind and your your heart to decide today I'm going to be generous to God and Whatever that looks like, more time for God, more energy for God, more of my money for God. Whatever it may be, it is to bring joy and cheer. As you say, God, there's this inexpressible gift. You are an indescribable giver. I have this impassioned glory for you. And now I'm going to be intentionally generous to you. Never forget that he is able to make all grace abound to you. That he's going to supply for you. That we may bountifully and generously give for the sake of his kingdom. So that by his grace we may see a harvest. What you pour into gospel ministry in India or China or Papua New Guinea. What are you pouring into it? So that we might see harvest and fruit of that. Thanksgiving and glory to God is our goal. Worship. Worship. He deserves far more than we can even offer him in that. He is pleased, not by how much we give in terms of sum totals. He is pleased and honored by how we give. From the heart, cheerful, generous, sacrificial. The one who has experienced the gospel of Christ responds with cheer and joy and generosity. So let us give to him and do for him, big or small, all that we give to him. Let our giving be worship. Let's pray. God, we we don't deserve anything we have. You have given us more than we could ever ask or imagine. The fact that we have breath and life and the ability to walk and talk, God, are all gifts from you that we have not earned. It's not like we deserve them. So we thank you, even on that level, that you are a God so gracious to us. But more than that, you've given us salvation. You've given us freedom from our sin and freedom from an eternal hell. You've given it through your son that we might just come. By grace, we have been saved. Undeserved love that we would just accept by faith. God, help us to trust you. Help us to trust ourselves to Jesus, not just for our lives, but for all that we have that we believe you to be our supplier, and that we want to bring you honor and glory. God, we want to worship you with our whole lives. Let us give as worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.